Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Intelligence Squared, where great minds meet. I'm head of programming, Connor Boyle. The recent death of Russian anti-corruption activist, opposition leader and political prisoner Alexei Navalny, while serving a decades-long sentence in a remote Arctic penal colony, shocked the world last week. But for those watching the erosion of free expression in Russia closely over recent years, sadly the news may have felt like more of a matter of grim inevitability rather than one of complete surprise. Back in July 2022, we heard from British investigative journalist and author John Sweeney. he just published a book, Killer in the Kremlin, a study of the brutal tyranny of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has maintained his grip on power in Moscow for now nearly a quarter of a century. Putin's rule has left a trail of political opponents imprisoned, exiled, silenced, or worse, in its wake. We've resurfaced that discussion with John Sweeney for today's episode. John was speaking to Carl Miller, co-founder of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at the think tank Demos. Carl's also author of The Death of the Gods, The New Global Power Grab, and is a fellow at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. He also put some audience questions to John too. Here's Carl Miller and John Sweeney discussing Killer in the Kremlin. John, let's focus on Putin, because I I guess there are these two threads, aren't there, at least least to my reading throughout your book. You know, firstly, trying to understand what Putin is like as a a man and how he sees the world and why he's turned out the way that he has and why he makes the decision that he has. Um, But then also why we have to care so much about Putin as a man, you know, and this kind of the second tragedy that that he's kind of been thrown into position of such power and influence over all of our lives, seemingly so far away. So... So let, let, let's deal with both of those. Um, there's the, 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 the kind of chronological arc, I guess, you know, a kind of early childhood, kind of athletic scholarship at university, early KGB postings. Um, what of that is, it, it, it strikes you as being the kind of first or, or most important kind of early punctuation point or kind of early formative experience for Putin? Is it? Is it? Is it that... You know, I, I found this very striking that he he hadn't himself personally experienced any of the main reasons why the Soviet Union collapsed. Yes, that seemed to me an extremely important important part of his of his formation. So Putin's on record as saying that the um, the falling apart of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the twentieth century. Come on, does it really really match the First World War, um, which caused the Second World War? which caused the Holocaust, those three are less tragic than the fall of the Soviet Union, which started out essentially as a Stalinist sort of, a Stalinist fascist thing, which kind of slowly degenerated into a kind of alcoholic senility under Brezhnev and then and then Andropov was sober, but, but nevertheless... It was a kind of dreadful stuff. Now, what happened was the three things that killed the Soviet Union, Putin was was absent without leave or was, wasn't there. The three things that killed the Soviet Union, one was the war in Afghanistan. Putin didn't go. 
Number two was Chernobyl. Putin didn't go. And number three was the failure of the Soviet economy to keep pace with Western growth, economic growth, which is a good thing, which means that we've lifted hundreds of millions and now billions of people out of poverty through a regulated free market. And alongside that, through democracy and the rule of law, which you need absolutely to police the free market. Now, obviously, we make mistakes, but Putin never understood why the country he loved killed itself. We didn't kill it. It killed itself. So he never got that. What he got was a kind of deep romantic attachment to the Soviet Union, which which essentially had, you know, communist rhetoric, but you strip that aside from pretty early on, from about 1925 onwards, when Stalin gets hold of the machinery, it becomes, I think, more, to understand it better, it becomes a kind of, it becomes Russian nationalism, Russian fascism, Russian imperialism with a, with a shiny red paint job, but it's still part of that. Although Stalin was originally Georgian, he became a kind of Russian nationalist, turbocharged. And that was the, the, the real dominant thing. And the thing that's holding it together is the secret police. To begin with, it's called the Cheka, lots of alphabets, um, the three letters they call it, the GPU, the OGTU, the NKVD, um, KGB best way of understanding it. And Putin is starts life as as a kind of gangster's, I'm going to say gangster's mole deliberately to piss him off. But um, he, he was, um, there's a friend of mine, Jim Fallon, who's professor of psychiatry, University of California. He, he makes a study of world leaders who end up like Putin. And he says the common thing, Pol Pot's an exception, he doesn't properly understand why. But virtually everybody else, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Putin, have been in some way sexually abused or abandoned by their parents or mother at a very early age. And he believes this is the case with, with Putin. I don't have a, a clear grip on exactly what happened, but that's what he believes. So Putin is, has got no friends, and then he joins this this mixed martial arts group, which is a mixture of karate and uh, the Russian, it's a Soviet thing called Sambo. Mixed martial arts is the best way of describing it. And the guy who runs it is a mafia bloke called Ulvyatsov. I mispronounce it, I'm sure. And this guy on his grave, I am dead, but the mafia is immortal. So the number one thing for, for Putin is gangsterism. Gangster gets him into university on an athletic scholarship, and then he joins the KGB. And then the kind of what happens is the gangsters and the KGB, they come together, and they what you have is a gangsterization of the secret police or the secret policeization of the gangsters. And so what you've got in Russia under Putin is a hybrid state of an intelligence service slash the secret police slash the Gambino crime family. I mean, I th honestly, you can read my book, but the other thing you should always read or reread is um, Bertolt Brecht's The Irresistible Rise of Arturo Yui to kind of understand this stuff. 
And what drives me nuts, Carl, is when people like Schultz, possibly down the track, Rishi Sunak, if he becomes prime minister, we say, well, let's see if we can, we can do a deal. And it's like doing a deal with Hitler or the Gambinos or Al Capone. You can't do a deal with these people. You've just got to stop them. I mean, I, I think it's worth noting for the audience at this point that, that John, kind of, the, the, the issues you're raising now, I'm sure ones we're going to touch on, um, journalists have, have been literally killed for investigating these exact topics, haven't they? You know, as well as dissidents, you know, Alex Politskaya and Boris Nemtsov and Boris Berezovsky, many of whom you, you knew or had met, um, you know, all of them, a, a long line of people that have now died in mysterious circumstances. Um, has this always been the way that Putin has dealt with external criticism or kind of, I guess, investigatory pressure? Yes. So actually, um, the reporter from Germany asked me, how many people do you think he's killed? And I actually haven't put it in, in this bit, but I'll, I'll uh, for the, um, the next edition, I'll run through some numbers. So what happens very early on is in September 99, there's the Moscow apartment bombs. Basically, Putin's got, he's an insipid secret policeman, a rather creepy one, and his poll ratings are 2%. Yeltsin has given him, basically, he's made him his heir apparent, but people are saying, who the fuck are you? You know, you're nobody. And then Chechen terrorists blow up Moscow. 300 uh, people are killed in Moscow and some cities in southern Russia. Putin blames Chechen terrorists and said, we're going to wipe them out on the bog. We're going to get them. And this tough talking, it, it makes him enormously popular overnight. And he kind of captures the spirit of Russian ethno-nationalism and turbocharges it through this hate speech against the, the Chechen terrorist enemy. And the evidence is overwhelming, I said out of my book, that the Moscow apartment bombs was a black operation by the KGB. No question. And then everybody who starts asking questions with the same kind of, I don't give a fuck that I have, gets poisoned or gets shot. Uh, in particular, there's a guy who I never met, but I, I love him from beyond the grave. There's a guy called Euro Shaka Chicken. He was investigating the Moscow apartment bombs. He drinks tea. His hair starts to fall out, his skin starts to flake, and he, um, his girlfriend, he dies, and his girlfriend visits him in the morgue, and she can't find him, but there's an old grandma who looks like her grandma, and she feels sorrow for this, this old lady who looks like uh, her grandma, and she goes to the morgue, um, guy and says, I can't find Yuri, he's not here. And the more guy says, over there. And it was the grandma, i.e. that Yuri Shaka Chicken's lover couldn't identify him because the poison had changed him completely and utterly, so he was unrecognisable to his own lover. My friend, Professor Norman Dombey, who's um, was Marina Litvinenko's expert witness at the long-delayed inquiry into the poisoning of Libanenko is a kind of Sherlock Holmes. Dombey is super clever. To tease him, I'm, I'm always provocative. I said, do you know anything about theoretical physics? A little <laughs> bit. Do you pass any exams? I've passed a few. Where do you get a degree? Oxford. They give them away there. And he goes, <laughs> and irritated, irritable, he goes, 
And I did my doctorate <laughs> at Caltech, where my supervisor was Murray Gell-Mann, who won the Nobel Prize for inventing the clock. So that <laughs> shut me up. And then, then by the way, Norman opened a can of Spitfire beer. Uh, like it was twelve thirty, drinking before I was. Terrible. But Norman, who Sherlock Holmes, he can tell you that the polonium two ten that killed Litvinenko was cooked up, was baked in the Sarov nuclear reactor um, in the city of Avangard. I might have got that, but, but all these names sound like something out of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but uh, but Norman's on it completely on it. He. His working hypothesis is that the Russian secret state wouldn't have used polonium-210 first on Litvinenko without trying it out on others here. And so he believes that Shaka Chicken was poisoned with 210, polonium-210, as with a Russian gangster who knew the dirt about Putin, um, um, Roman Sepov, as was um, um, a Chechen warrior called Lucha um, Ismailov, if memory serves. And those three were the guinea pigs before trying it out on Litvinenko. But the significance of all of this is that after Litvinenko, the British government kicked out four diplomats who were spies. Like all that happens is that Putin gets the spy factory in Moscow to print out four more diplomatic passports. So this is a game where we are losing, and Litvinenko was a British citizen at this point, and there was a lot of polonium littered across London. We're losing people, our people, yeah. and, and Putin's playing with Monopoly money. And so what you get as well as war crime after war crime after war crime on repeat, we're not standing up to him. And Schultz is not standing up to him, and I'm worried about Rishi Sunak if he gets it. Um, I'm worried about... Uh, about the West revolve to stand up to this serial killer. John, earlier you said that, you know, you, like like other war correspondents, have this kind of, you know, on the one side, a kind of risk-taking kind of appetite, but on another, a kind of calculation and a kind of ability to try and try and manage risks. Um, how have you managed over your career to manage the risk of reporting on Putin? I mean, it seems to me, I mean, the book you, you, you've written, I mean, explicitly it says at parts two to piss him off. I mean, you, 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 you doorstepped him in Russia face to face. How have you tried to, especially given this kind of long phalanx of illustrious colleagues of yours who, who have literally died as a result of, 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 of trying to report, how have you managed to, 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 to kind of uh, keep yourself safe or, or, or try and navigate around the threats that, 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 that are inherent in this whole area? So you're most dangerous if you're Russian or speak Russian completely fluently, and I don't. So that I'm trading in English or I'm dealing with English. So although I'm one of the more, more I would say I'm in the top 10 of the most annoying journalists uh, in the English language, I'm not in the Russian language. And at the moment, my book hasn't been translated into Russian. I would like that to happen. But um, that's number one. So that lowers the risk. Secondly, I'm based in London. And so what happened was that I would go over there, do a film for Panorama or Newsnight, but actually always Panorama, and then come back to London. Then the film would go out. So that, so that the, miss, the risk was, is mitigated. Um, you know, listen, I pour my own drink. I pour my own tea. <laughs> 
Intelligence Squared is a tight-knit team doing big things, and it means we're always looking for tools that can help streamline managing tasks. That's why I want to talk to you for a minute about NetSuite. NetSuite provides cloud-based software to get things moving. Maybe your business has been humming, but you can feel things are falling behind a little bit. Or perhaps your team is getting snowed with manual tasks and closing those books is taking forever. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, allowing them to close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. It means you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. NetSuite is now making an unprecedented offer to make more of that kind of thing possible. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com squared. That's netsuite.com squared to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com squared. All right, well, we're about to go to the audience um, uh, and, and I can already see the questions um, pouring in. And do get writing everyone if you have any more, but... But before we do, um, John, let, let's just kind of fl flash forward for a second just to um, the state now. And I guess the two big questions that everyone is asking, number one, um, is Putin well? I know you, 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 there's parts of the book we talk about like roid rage and, 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 and kind of Putin's actual state of health. And secondly, is he still in control? I know you use this kind of idea of kind of Wizard of Oz that the kind of maybe some of the kind of marionette strings have been taken away from him since the invasion. The Kremlin doesn't tolerate a loser. Um, what what do you think right now is the is the kind of state of play, both in terms of Putin's health and and whether he still is really calling the shots? So in terms of the health, it's very difficult to um, to get a proper fix on it. There's a simple reason for that. There's all the people who were good in Russia who do, do my kind of job, they've either been poisoned or shot or had to flee or they're in jail. So when people say, well, why don't you know? Well, because everybody who tries to find out gets killed or has to go or gets locked up. But when I met him in 2014, I doorstepped him um, after the shooting down of MH17. His face, he had Botox, so it was weird and plasticky, but his the structure of his face was, he looked like a space alien. Or, um, or a weasel. Now he looks like a hamster. His cheeks stuffed with straw. Uh, straw. And my friend, Ashley Grossman, I said, would you bet a fiver that he's been overdoing it on the steroids, some kind of steroid abuse? And Ashley goes, no, 50 quid. Uh, 50 quid on mm -hmm. some kind of um, 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 cancer of the um, lymphatic system. That's Ashley's take. And Ashley's... A very, very, you know, he's a professor of neuroendocrinology at Oxford. Um, he really is intelligence cubed. Well, I'm intelligence <laughs> half. Um, so he thinks that, however, the, um, the, I've forgotten the name of the guy who runs Britain's military these days. He's the, the, the first sea lord or whatever. Um, but he, they said, the way we look at that, uh, look at it is that we think Putin's in there for the long game. Um, there's consistency. So obviously British 
they're not buying Putin's ill. All I know is that when I met him, he looked like a weasel and now he looks like a hamster. And my friend Ashley Grossman, professor of medicine in Oxford, thinks that indicates steroid abuse. There's a bit of example from history. Um, JFK had um, Addison's disease and you, you treated it with steroids. It was early, early days of steroid treatment and they overdosed him. He looked like a hamster and he was erratic and he helped generate the Bay of Pigs crisis. So you can actually think of like two great crises, the one now and the Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missiles crisis, could both be roid rage. We'll see. I think Putin's Putin's much weaker than everybody thinks he is. For example, he still doesn't call it a war. It's a special military operation. He's not calling for universal conscription because he's afraid to call kids in, who live in Moscow and St. Petersburg because their mums and dads will hit the street. Navalny is still alive. Why? Navalny is incredibly rude about Putin. Why is Navalny still alive? Because Putin is afraid to have him killed because if he has him killed, people will go out in the streets to protest. So Putin's weaker, and I think his control is weaker too. Well, actually, that nicely brings us on to a number of these questions, which I'll, I'll just kind of uh, synopsize or pre-see. Um, John, what's the end game? How, how does Putin leave power? Well, I kind of I don't want to give the ending of my book. Well, I'll give the ending away. Um, the, the idea. So it's possible that a general comes back from the army, accused of cowardice or whatever, and just pops in with his revolver. That's always a possibility, because the Russian generals are risking. And, and there are three problems with the Russian army. Number one is morale. They don't have a good reason to fight the war. Ukrainians are defending their homes. Number two. The Russian logistics are dreadful, and the recent arrival of the American long-range HIMARS rocket artillery systems is killing all the Russian ammo dumps. A major problem with logistics. Number three, bad leadership. Bad in the sense of incompetent, bad in the sense of evil. Putin all the, the way down. So I think the army's in trouble. The Russian army's in trouble, and this autumn through the winter into the spring, so long as the West stands by our Ukrainian heroic friends, then I think the Russian army's in trouble. And if they're in trouble, then Putin's in trouble too. Where it becomes scary is that, that he, you know, the talk of nuclear escalation will go up and we've got to see through his bluff. That's my take. Um, and I'm, anxious that I think there are far too many people in the West who haven't been listening, haven't been understanding the nature of this guy. Once again, the Chinese are watching. If Putin wins, then the Chinese will look at the West and see that we prefer comfort over victory. Over um, And therefore, I think that if we allow Putin to get away with what he's done in the Ukraine, then the Chinese will try and gobble up Taiwan. So the world becomes a more dangerous place by appeasement, not a safer place. Um, so my take is the best thing to do is to give the Ukrainians the heavy metal they need, that that will cause the Russian army to be defeated. And then Russia looks at Putin and says, you're a loser. 
and they do to Putin what they did to Tsar Nicholas II. And the quicker they can do that, the better. Number two, um, Putin has surgery for whatever's wrong with him, and a doctor somehow makes it so he doesn't wake up. I would imagine if I'm the CIA, I'd be saying to all of the Kremlin's doctors, you can live in Beverly Hills forever. Um, so that's number two. Number three, this is my favorite outcome, that actually he has been overdosing and abusing steroids, and he's got some kind of cancer, as Ashley thinks, of the um, cancer of the lymphatic system, and that Putin may die because he's got cancer, because he's ended up poisoning himself. This is an ending befitting of Shakespeare. Um, thank you for that, John. Um, there's, there's a question here, Katie from Hammersmith, um, and, and this touches on an area we, we haven't actually spoken too much about, which is the kind of like tendrils of Russian influence into British politics and across Europe. Um, what should we have done differently, Katie asks, after, after Salisbury? And I'll kind of add on to that. Why didn't we do? Why didn't we act differently? Why didn't we stand up to Putin then? Well, so what my view is that the uh, MI6, the Foreign Office, Tony Blair, knew that September 99 was a black flag operation. They knew that. Um, they read the papers. They would have read my own piece in The Observer in March 2003 when I set out the evidence. And they looked the other way and they wanted Putin to be Mr. Nice. And he wasn't. Um, 2006, the poisoning with polonium-210, they waited like whatever it was, eight years before there was a public inquiry, and that was after the shooting down of MH17. So 2014 is a big moment. Um, I don't do the right thing then. Salisbury poisonings. I mean, come on, folks. Oh, okay, the Russian position is that two Russian sports nutritionists want to see the 123 meter tall Salisbury Cathedral. I actually, uh, weirdly, uh, a friend of a friend's son's father is the dean of Salisbury Cathedral. And I managed to climb up Salisbury Cathedral. It took me about half a day because it's really, it, I've actually <laughs> been inside the fucking spire. <laughs> and like, and while I was there, Suddenly, I was going on about, so the GRU, you know, silly, they never, boing, and the, uh, there's, uh, the video's up there online of the bells going, and boy, can you hear it? I felt, you know, never mind the um, hunchback at Notre Dame. Um, uh, but what we did was we kicked out 100, and, um, we kicked out like 20 dips, diplomats, and then Europe and the Americans kicked out another 100 or so. And Bill Browder says, so what? They just print another 120 passports. doesn't matter. Immediately after that happens, Boris Johnson goes to a NATO meeting in Brussels. Then he flies. Um, he ends up in Perugia, um, Perugia Airport, goes to the Lebedev's Palazzo Terranova. So the danger is the old man, Alexander Lebedev, who was a KGB spy in London from 88 to 92. The KGB is like Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. What is your, this is from James now, John. Um, what's, you know, what's on your like kind of risk map in terms of ways out for Putin? Is it Trump being reelected? 
I can't see Trump being re-elected because I think he's too mired in filth. Probably DeSantis could make it, but DeSantis is good on Ukraine. I'm, I'm, I'm having less nightmares about Trump, um, which is sweet. Um, so I think that the, 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 the serious danger is that Western politicians are used to trading and dealing and compromising, and that's kind of in their DNA. And we're dealing with, uh, with Russian fascism. Um, by the way, Putin didn't used to be quite as fascistic as he is now. So he's, there's, something, uh, there's something around about the, the, the start of COVID where he, he goes into a darker place. So when I met him in 2014, he was subtle and sensitive enough to say, oh, here's an irritating prick from the BBC Panorama show. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to treat him as if I'm a democratic president. And Which he was very good at, it sounds like. He was very good, good at extremely kind of good. smothering you know, the question. Very, you know, well done, president. Like he gave a long and boring and fundamentally absolutely dishonest answer, but he gave me an answer so I couldn't say he didn't answer me. Um, and that guy has changed. So he's become more nationalistic. It may be because he thinks he's dying, in which case, uh, by the way, he may be wrong about thinking he's dying, but if he thinks he's dying, then he's got to move quickly because he's run out of road. But, but I, I feel that the, um, the best way of ending this is to give the Ukrainians the heavy metal so that Putin's war has failed, and then the Russian people, the oligarchs, some of the secret policemen around him think, this guy is useless, let's get rid of him. And the moment that sets in, then, um, then that's not good news. When a Russian leader loses a war, their longevity is limited. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. This episode was produced by Connor Boyle and edited by Tom Hall. If you want to keep up with everything going on at Intelligence Squared, sign up to the newsletter. Head over to intelligencesquared.com to get the heads up on all our live events coming up. And members can also peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds. That's all over at intelligencesquared.com.